0: Hi good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Mm-hmm. The small intimate group makes it a lot easier to be up here. so <laughs> uh, the scripture reading this morning is on page six of your bulletin and comes from Acts 9 verses 1 to 31, and goes as the following. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has set me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Sorry. Saul spent several days with, with his disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those, those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on, his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him out to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers.
1: Good morning saints good morning. so good to be back with you thank you for those have who have prayed for me um i was away last weekend with the uh brothers and sisters at the chinese christian church uh it was a great time with them I had an opportunity to speak with them about the word of god so thank you for your prayers it is good to be back with you Today And we will continue on in our Acts series, looking at how God had began to form and shape his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to turn our eyes to Paul's conversion today to see what God can teach us through this passage, through this portion of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. We understand that you have made all the days. That you have called us your people to rejoice and be glad in it. God, we do recognize there are times when the days may feel like they're full, filled with sadness, and we get that. But today we ask for your mercy upon our hearts that we will be ever more changed, to be more like the son that you love, that we may be friends of God, that we may be people of God who walk in your ways and hold to strong convictions by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I I stand up here to give a testimony of myself today. Yesterday was a beautiful day. Uh, The sun was out and the clouds were just whiter as was white as snow. And as the sun came through them, it was just beautiful. It was green all around where I was up in Maryland. And later in the day, dark clouds descended. They began to move in on us, and the rain began to pour down. And after I was done, me and Crystal, we were done with where we were, and we headed out. We got in the car, and the wind was blowing. But we kept going. We got on the highway, and rain was pouring down, and people were passing me in their cars. And I thought, hmm, I guess it's safe enough to drive at speed limit out here, 65 to 70. Uh, but the rain kept beating down on us, and before I knew it, I was hydroplaning. And I don't know if you have ever been in that situation before in your life. You don't have any control. The car was going towards this bank, and then the Lord, I believe the Lord, turned it around, still at the same velocity, and as the car began to move, in the same direction, but now backwards, we were in the median, and it was an inverted hill, and we were going down in the median, not knowing where, what we would hit or how we would, we would end up, but I was scared, of course. And I thought, first thought, we're going to flip over. Second fear, we're going to land on Crystal side. Third fear, we're going to hit the railing on the, side, on the other side of the road. Something is going to stop us. But God had a hand on the car. And when we did stop, there's no damage done to the car, to my amazement. Because I saw some, something that looked like tires is flinging up. It must have been because of another vehicle or something. But, you know, the Lord stopped us in our tracks, and I became so upset. I think I was masking the fear that was within me. Because the adrenaline was pouring out, and I, I was so upset that I didn't slow down when the Spirit gave me the unction to do so. <laughs> so I was really mad at myself, and we both were pretty shaken up. I did not want to get out of the car by no means, but I did get out and just check the car, and everything was fine. And then I proceeded to get out of that ditch, you know, putting the car in, in uh, drive. And overdrive or reverse, and we called, you know, uh, roadside assistance. They weren't picking up, and still I could feel myself grasping for control, you know, desiring to get back on that road and enemies necessary. I'm sure shame was there, all kinds of things, you know, but I was taking note of how right I wanted to be, how I wanted to get in there and do something and gain that type of control. My pride took over me in that In that moment, even as we were on the road, it just took over me. As I was trying to do a good thing, get back home, get some rest, get ready for tomorrow. That's how it is, isn't it? We clamp down on things that we think are right and true. And God is saying, let go and let God. And so as we come to Acts, come to Saul's conversion, that's what we begin to see. A young man who is bent on doing the right things according to the traditions of his father, according to what he perceived in the word of God, according to the zeal that was within him. We see a passionate man who wants to snuff out these Christians, those who are part of the way. He wants to snuff them out because they are blaspheming the the, the name of the God of Israel. So he had to put them to death. And the first time that we see this character, Paul, Saul, who turns into Paul later, the first time we see him was at Stephen's stoning. And there he is like the, uh, the the garment holder, the guy that you check your coats into. Everyone laid their coats at his feet. But later on he gives testimony that he was giving, you know, he was cheering folks on to stone Stephen himself. So we begin to see someone who has not only pride, but a murderous heart as well. And that's what we see in the beginning of chapter 8. He begins to go around house to house to house finding Christians there in Jerusalem, and he had permission from the chief priest to do so. Some been put to death, some been in prison, some been probably beaten, you name it. He was persecuting the church. That was his zeal. That's that's that was his murderous heart. That was the pride of his life. That is what made him feel like he had control. But we know that the only thing that can arrest our hearts and open our hands and our hearts and our minds to the only one who has ultimate control is His grace. Jesus is the sovereign Lord, yes. And Jesus is the one that gives us sovereign grace. And as we see here in this passage, that's what he does. He comes to Saul and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He comes face to face with Saul and he asks him that question. But we begin to see as we look through this passage That yes, God's grace is so sufficient, right? Because we see in this passage one who is an enemy of God. And we see also one who needs to be emancipated by God. And we see one who was turned into an emissary by God. And so Saul, as we just alluded to, was an enemy of God. And there we see in the first two verses, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest asking them for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that he, he, so that whoever he found as belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, Damascus is in Syria. That's outside of the land of Israel. But people, because when persecution uh broke out people scattered they got away from the persecution and that was one of the places they went to and he wanted to have jurisdiction right there in that place to go and seek them out and to snuff them out so he asked them for letters that he can go search warrants to go in those places but see the thing that gets me with this is like but Saul still breathing threats and murder he was bent on these on this mission to snuff people out, men and women. And so this is the Saul who is ravaging the church of God. This is the one in his own testimony when he was before the people outside the temple in Jerusalem, and this is found in Acts twenty-two. He gives precedence to who he was, giving testimony. To the people during that time, he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. From his own lips, he says this, I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders bear witness to me. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those, who, those also who were there and to bring them bound to Jerusalem to be punished. But you see, Saul, while trying to do right in, the, in his own eyes, and in the eyes of the God of Israel is an enemy of the true God, the God of heaven, the creator, the covenant keeping God, the one whose son is Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us that if you are not a child of God, that you are indeed a child of the devil. We see that in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, he tells the people he's talking to, the Pharisees. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And again, we see in 1 John chapter 3, by this it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice the righteousness practice righteousness is not of God. And see, this is a righteousness that is not in and of yourself. It's one through the gospel of grace. So whoever does not practice the, practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So Saul was blinded by his own righteousness. And Saul did indeed murder and kill and pillage the children of Israel, his own brothers. So maybe, maybe he had read the scriptures in a certain way that brought him to this point of thinking that he was doing right. Because even in Leviticus, you know, if you blaspheme the name, the name of the Lord, you're, you're this commanded that you, you'll be stoned to death. This is what it says in Leviticus 24, verse 13. You know, the, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed the name of the Lord, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him, and speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. So maybe Paul had read this and thought, this is it, this is what they're doing, this is what the children of the way are doing. Now, blaspheming the name of the God of Israel by holding on to this new name, the name of that of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who claims to have died on the cross. Maybe that was his logic. And so he was snuffing them out, willing to put them to death. You know, when I was playing sports, there was a time when I sought to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around me. I remember sitting on the floor in the weight room. The entire team was in there. I was on the football team at Georgia Southern University. And so you hear all kinds of conversations in that place. You know, what people did the night before, how much they drank, uh, what type of girls they were after, after, uh, what they were planning on doing after that, you know, after... Workout, where they were going to eat. Uh, of course, sports teams, people who they thought were, you know, doing well during the season. And so someone asked me, so, Yancy, tell, tell me a little bit more about what you and Carl, what what you guys talk about when you, when you talk about Jesus. He asked me about Jesus. And so I began to share a little bit about Jesus in that place. And so, As I shared about Jesus, there are some people, they heard that I was talking about Jesus. And then one gentleman sitting there on the floor, he looked at me with a scowl. Shut up. Quit talking about that in here. We're not going to talk about that in here. You know, having seen some pretty rough days in my past, that didn't scare me. You know, I thought, um, all right, I see him. He's upset right now. This is exactly what God says happens to the believers, those who preach in the name or speak in the name of Jesus, that those around you will become upset. They will not want you to begin to speak. They want to shut your mouth. And so I spoke back to him. I said, said, you guys are talking about anything you want to talk about. I'm going to talk about Jesus. He asked me about Jesus. So I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. And so I knew he couldn't take me because even though he was taller and bigger, I was stronger than him. (laughs) So I got a little bold. But, you know, that's exactly what Jesus says would happen to his people, that there would be some who are God's enemies that will push against you, that will let you know that they do not like what you're talking about when you speak of that name. Even though they may not understand it, there's something about that name that really scares the enemies of God. There's something about that name that caused them to feel a sense of of shame. You know, I I can relate to that. You know, there are some who can relate to that, who before Jesus Christ shone his light in your heart, you probably felt that way too. I felt that way. I was offended. You know, that people would believe in the name of Jesus. I didn't know anything about it, so I mocked it. You know, I didn't know. I, my eyes weren't open. And that's what happens when the enemies of God hear about that name. They think that is it's foolish and stupid to begin to speak about Jesus. And yes, and yes, there are brothers and sisters all over the world who are undergoing Physical persecution. They don't have the privilege like we do here today to speak freely of that name because if they do, that means that their life can be ended. That means that they will no longer be a part of the family that they're a part of. That means things will not go easy for them. They want to make a dent in the world for Christ and so they begin to be shrewd about how they would look, how they would speak about the name. In some places, people can't speak of the name at all. And so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in those places. And so we see here Saul as an enemy of God. And this is how God treats his enemies, right? We see this as he began to approach Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And he said, "Who are you, Lord?" Jesus said, "I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do." Then the men who were traveling, they were speechless. They heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. But Saul rose from the ground, ever seeing but not seeing at all. Although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. The evidence of the condition of his own heart, righteous in his own eyes, but yet not seeing and perceiving at all the things of God. So they led him into Damascus, and that's when God took him into the tomb for three days He was without sight. He was in darkness for three days left to his own thoughts and to think about the Lord Jesus coming and shining the light before him, all around him. For three days there he lay and neither ate nor drank. For three days he was down in in the depth of his despair, of his wandering. What have I I done, perhaps, of him seeing for sure his sins that he had committed against the risen Savior who had showed up and opened his eyes to the truth? So there's the enemy of God, but God is doing something powerful in his life. God is really emancipating Paul, Saul turned Paul. He's setting him free. And so we see this because Jesus comes to a devout Jew named Ananias who lived in Damascus. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. You see the difference between Saul's question, who are you, Lord? Lord. But for those who are children of God, when God begins to speak to them through his word or in a vision, here I am, Lord, heart already bent towards Jesus, knows the voice of the Savior. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. But behold, he is praying. That's what Saul was doing for those three days. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So that he can truly see. And I love this because Jesus, though he came to Saul, but now Jesus is using the wider community to speak into his heart, to bring support to him. So Jesus was right in saying, why are you persecuting me? Because when we are persecuted, when we are snarfed at, when, when we are moved against, people are moving against Jesus. And so the hands of Jesus is coming through Ananias to lay hands on Saul so that he may be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that he may be truly one who knows the Lord. But Ananias knew you know, he, he wasn't a fool, right? He knew what Saul was doing. He knew how much of an enemy he was before the people of God. And Anani- Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And so this is the grace of the Lord Jesus. Verse 15. But the Lord Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So here we have it. Before the foundation of the world, A chosen instrument of God, one that God is now about to liberate, to go before the Gentiles, to go before the rulers, to go before the children of Israel so that they may hear the message about the son of God, the one who was resurrected, the one who came before Saul and called him out of darkness into light. And not only that, as we see throughout the book of Acts, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus does in the life of Saul turned Paul. He goes, he sends him to the Gentiles. He sends them before Agrippa, kings and rulers. He, everywhere he goes on his missionary journey, journeys, he goes to the children of Israel by moving into the synagogues first to share the message of hope. With them first, because there were people who were entrusted with the very covenants of God. So Jesus keeps his promise in his life. He also keeps the promise that he will suffer, that he will suffer, that he will be stoned, that plots will be against him to kill him, that he will be left for dead, that, that he will be moved against. He must suffer for the sake of the name. And so Ananias departed and entered the house and he did what the Lord Jesus called him to do. He went to Saul in all humility and affection. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the power that gives us hearts that are liberated to go before the nations, to go and share with our own people, our own families. This is the power that sends us out there to face the suffering of the world, our own brokenness, what's inside of us. This is the power that held me and Crystal in that car, And kept us from further damage. Though we were wounded emotionally. We could have been wounded even further. And that's what it's like. The spirit is by his will. What he. How he leads us. And that's the prayer. That we would be sensitive to this. Sensitive to how he has saved us. Because he has converted our hearts. He's given us a testimony. Right? Right? He's given us regeneration. He's given us repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he he gives us the hearts and minds to turn away from whatever the sin is in our lives and to turn into the service of God. He's the one that empowers us to jot our neighbors names down, to memorize them, to pray for them, to invite them over to become friends with them. He teaches us how how we are friends of God and how to be friends of God. He teaches us about our own conversion, the illumination of our minds, that there at one time we were sinners, we were hell-bent, and God was pleased to make us his own. He is the one who convicts us of our genuine sorrow for sin, not just remorse, but real conviction, real sorrow. He gives us a humble confession of sin, both to God and to others in our lives, others that we've hurt, which is one of the hardest things, right? To admit that you've hurt somebody, that you've moved against somebody. Or admit that you've fallen short. He's the one that gives us a hatred of sin in our lives. That we get tired of our own selves. I became angry with myself in their car. Why didn't I listen? I sinned. He's the one that gives us the type of power to return to God day by day. To look in our gracious father's face to approach his throne of grace. He's the one that gives us faith to believe and the wholehearted joy, the wholehearted joy to look to Christ and the genuine love for others. This is what the Spirit does in our lives. This is what he was doing in the heart of Ananias. This is why Ananias could go before Saul, even though he knew of his reputation. This is why he could go before Saul and... His says, Brother Saul, this is why he could go and do the will of God by laying on hands of Saul. And Saul indeed regained his sight, and he was baptized, and he took food, and he had true food to eat, and he had true drink to drink because God was strengthening him by the power of his Holy Spirit. God had liberated him, emancipated him to believe an enemy to a friend. A child of Satan to a child of our Heavenly Father. And the last thing we want to look at is how our Heavenly Father has set him free to be an ambassador, an emissary, God's emissary, God's man, to do his will, to spread this message of hope. And you see what happened after he received the Holy Spirit? Immediately, his eyes were open. In verse 20, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying... He is the son of God. He is the one that the prophets proclaim. He is the one, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all who heard him, of course, were amazed, right? This is the guy who was torturing God's people, persecuting Jesus, dragging them out of their homes before their children, dragging them out taking them to be tried, pushing against God. They heard the reports about this man who made havoc in Jerusalem and the one who would bring people bound before the chief priests. But it says here in verse 22, that wasn't his story anymore. When the spirit came, Saul increased all the more. In strength, and he confounded the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. One moment he is in darkness, the next moment he is in the light. And this is the evidence, right, of him being in the light. He is proclaiming the name of Jesus. And furthermore, he's persevering, right, in the face of opposition because as we see here that's before us they begin to plot to kill him it's like wait a minute at least you can respect his past life of muttering and you know dragging people out of their home at least you can respect that you know I've seen John Wick you know I don't know if you guys have seen that but anyway That's a code on the street. If you are the man, you you respect the man. Even though he's turned away from the, the old code, the old way of life, there's something still about him that you admire. No, 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 no. This is what Satan does to those who are saved by grace. No matter how much you have done for him in your previous life, if you're on that side, he's coming after you. If you're on that side, you will not be shown mercy by him. If you're on that side, there's no respect at all, no matter what. If you're on that side, he's coming for you. And that was a plot to kill Paul. And he became, he, he knew about what was going on. Because that very night, they were watching the gates. They were watching to see if they could capture him and stone him, and kill him. They were looking for him to do this. But Paul escaped. The disciples helped him get out of there so that Paul could continue to be on mission for God. And that's what happened here as he went throughout Damascus as one saved by grace. And then we see in this passage how He was brought to Jerusalem. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So he went and he gave testimony that Paul really is God's emissary. He really is the ambassador. He's saying, he's pleading with people. Be reconciled to God. As though God is making his appeal through him. Be reconciled. To the king of kings and, and the lord of lords. And Paul is using his testimony everywhere he goes to do this. Admitting his previous life. Admitting the life that he lived was his righteousness. Admitting that he was indeed a child of Satan. That's what he says in Acts 26. Admitting that. And admitting that Jesus really is the risen savior. That he did save him that he did bring him out of the mud and the mire, that Jesus really gave him a true conversion, that he could walk away from that previous life, that he could join the people of God. And it's true, they didn't trust him at first, but as he continued to preach boldly, even their hearts were changed by the gospel of grace. This is what God does. He changes those who are his enemies into his friends. God emancipates those, set them free, and and give them true freedom. Those were his enemies. And God makes them even more of an ambassador emissaries before him to be used as instruments in his hands. And the born that we really are talking about is Jesus, who was sent from God, from heaven, on mission for the Father, to bring to us the good news of salvation, the hope of the world. He is the emissary of God who faced the opposition of men that he had created, knowing what was in their hearts. He did not entrust himself to them, but he prayed for them. He loved them. He healed them. Even to the point where in John, John, John the, letter, the book of John, he says, Jesus did so many things that the books can't even hold the many things that he's done. That's what he did for his people. He is the emissary of God, an instrument of hope. Jesus is the great emancipator because of his death on the cross, because of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead so that in Jesus, he can set you free. He can set you free today. He can give you the life that you never had today. And for those of you who believe in Jesus, he can take you deeper. He wants to give you more of the Holy Spirit, more strength. More words in your mouth to proclaim the name. And on the cross, and on the cross, and this is the sobering point, he became an enemy of God. Forsaken for you and for me. This is the Jesus who suffered the death of deaths. Became an instrument. One that God would pull his raft on for you and for me. And the thing that we know is that Jesus was a perfect sinless Savior so that he would be raised from the dead, so that he would visit you just like he visited me and Crystal when we were in that car. You know why? I believe, I really do believe that Jesus had mercy on us because we proclaimed the name. Well, not me, Crystal did. (laughs) Crystal proclaimed the name. As we were going backwards at 50, 40 miles per hour, she was proclaiming the name, Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, have mercy, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I heard. And it gave me a comfort and a peace as she proclaimed the name. And you, and you see the sort, of, the sort of irony, right? Here I am looking at this passage, this conversion story, looking at the life of Saul, this instrument of God, and how he began to proclaim the name I'm like, Jesus, what does it mean to proclaim the name? That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Proclaim the name. Tell somebody about the hope that you have within you. Proclaim the name. About your conversion testimony. About how he brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Proclaim the name. That you were a dead instrument. They can't play themselves. You were a dead instrument. And the Lord took hold of you and he began to make the most beautiful music. And he began to set your feet to dancing so that the watching world may look and see and praise your father who is in heaven. Proclaim the name. Be the instrument of God. Live unto him. Let go and let God. Because he has brought you from men a very enemy to being a friend. He has given you the depth of his freedom and he has set you free to go to be his emissary, to proclaim the name. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are so merciful. You are so powerful. You are able to keep us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us mercy, even through the testimony of Saul, that we are to proclaim the name. Amen.